That's about the games beyond Baldur's Gate. I'm Cameron. And I'm I'm Danny. This is uh episode 75, the big 7-5, and uh last game we did. You know, episode 60 something through 74, I guess. Uh we talked about a very contemporary game, Disco Elysium. It's new. It's as new the, as the kids would say. And Danny, you said, I hate it. I hate the idea of newness. <laughs> <laughs> the contemporary, it's awful. Well, I think I said I, I was war. I was worried. I was worried. Mm-hmm. You were crying. You were openly weeping in a in a Target parking lot, <laughs> and you you got me on the horn. But only because that's also the movie theater's parking lot. Yeah, and you'd just seen Titanic. <laughs> I had just seen uh, Silence. Mm. I cried about that too because it's so bad. Oh, take that, Marty! Oh no, that was his passion project. He didn't care about anything else. Ooh, I'm passionately avoiding seeing it again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Yo, take that, Marty! Boom, coming for you. It would be different if you were Catholic. <laughs> would it? I would be like, wow, Marty, you d- you damn done did it again. We all know that Martin Scorsese was uh, has repeatedly said multiple times that he is too cowardly and untalented to make a Children of the Corn film, so I don't know why I should watch any of his movies. I did see a tweet to that, so it's got to be true, if it's, if it's just floating in my timeline. Yeah, it's factually correct, but um, what, what game are we playing here, Danny, and why are we playing it? We're playing a game that came out way before <laughs> Disco Elysium did. Uh-huh. Um, we, we're playing a game that came out June 29th, 2000. What were you doing on June 29th, 2000? Okay. Get in Let the me. mindset. Okay, so what what you have to do is you have to, like like anything in this time period, it's like, okay, where was I September 11th? And then you count backwards or forwards. Yeah, of course. That's mm-hmm. what we all do. Yeah. Hmm. I was playing EverQuest. Really? Yeah, June 29th, 2000, yeah. Yeah, school's out. It's the summer. Mm -hmm. EverQuest exists, so you're by definition playing it. Me and my my buddy Lonnie, we're both Mm -hmm. playing uh, Warriors, Mm -hmm. which are just like uh, a class that only exists to tank, like in bosses. They don't do anything else. They have no abilities. Great. Yeah, they literally have auto attack, and you can kick. There's a kick button that like comes up every six seconds. And it's just like the weakest possible attack. It does like two damage, um, and uh, that's your whole job. So we obviously we both picked fighter warriors, and, uh-huh. and we we roll around and we have this economic scheme where we go to like uh, the the very edge of the earth to like the really unpopular uh, continent. Um. And we uh, we go to this one island that we read about on alakazam.com and we uh, kill will-o'-wisps that farm on that that like appear on that island. We farm mm-hmm. them for their greater light stones, mm-hmm. which is an item that if you equip it in an inventory slot and if it's not in a bag, it produces light so you can actually see. 
because uh, this is a game with um, with like all of the conceits of like infravision, right? So like a full half of the player races can't see at night. So you need some light source and greater light stones are the best ones. So we go over there, we fill our inventories up with them and then we go across the world and we sell them. And while we're doing this, we're not leveling up at all. We're not. <laughs> so we have, we're just like rolling in money and we buy like the best armor we can afford, uh, which hugely backfires because then you're you're viewed as like this derogatory term called a, a twink. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah. Dang. So like we, it looks like your power level. Yeah, it looks cool. like we're power leveled. So we'll be getting attacked by something. And, and generally, the like the community of players in such a strange game because of a lot of reasons. Like there's a big community of like helping people mm-hmm. and you don't help twinks. They're like they're viewed as like very distasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we are in our full banded armor. But when the Griffin's chasing you, nobody's going to help you. Um and also people didn't want to like party with you. So we were just like level 13 for 2 years. Just like bumbling around a virtual world utterly utterly clueless. Well, you could have been playing Icewind Dale. I could have been doing that. And you know why? I probably did at some point. I, I bought this game and I, I had it in a disc form. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I did, never did. You never did. Is this the first time you're ever playing Icewind Dale? I think so. I thought that I, and I might have said in previous episodes that I'd played it, but, uh, or, you know, engaged with it. And I had a pretty strong memory that I did of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. But sitting down and playing it for this prologue, which we played for this first episode, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing ringing a bell, huh? Nothing ringing a bell, um, which, so, you know, I don't know. Might have had, I might have had a, uh, like a false gaming magazine memory. Mm. You know, I might have read like a PC gamer at the time. It could also be, maybe you played Icewind Dale 2. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Or someone could have just told me about it when I was, you know, a child. And I've, I've, uh, you know, adapted that into my own brain. Who knows? So this was, uh, this game came out just a couple of months before Baldur's Gate 2. Mm, like six months before. Yeah, I think Baldur's Gate 2 uh, was released uh, in North America September of 2000. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. For some reason, I, thought I had it in my head as 2001, but yeah. That makes On Mac there. OS, it was released a year later, 2001. Ah, um, take that. Take that, Macintosh. Mm-hmm. The, take uh, that, Steve. So there's like an interesting alternate universe where we decide to play these games chronologically, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. if we wanted to do that instead of doing the superior version, which is what mm-hmm. we are doing, mm-hmm. we would have started probably with Baldur's Gate. Then I guess, let me look, is Planescape Torment? What year was that? Was that 2000? Uh, uh, 1999. 1999. So we would have done Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale. So, like, this would have been our third game if we were doing them uh, strictly chronologically, which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah, and this is kind of, too, the, uh, like, cross-play... Well, that's a a term that means something else, I guess. This is where some timelines converge, right? Because Mm -hmm. Black Isle Studios is a publisher and developer, Right. Mm-hmm. So Black Isle develops Fallout, Fallout 2, Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, Icewind Dale Expansions, Icewind Dale 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they publish concurrently, or you know, kind of interleaved here, 
Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate Tales of the Sword Coast, Baldur's Gate 2, right? So we generally, on this show, right, are in the in the bioware verse, right? In, in the Bioware inheritors in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, you know, uh, you can go check out check out Too Much Future, which is Michael Lutz and I doing a similar project to uh, to Mages and Murder Dad, Mages and Murder Dads, but with the Fallout games to kind of see our experiences with Fallout and Fallout Two. So, you know, this is a what's interesting, I guess, is what I'm saying is that Icewind Dale is um, a game that's got some DNA from Fallout in it. You know, some literal developers shared and mm-hmm. it's got some dna from um from Baldur's Gate in the sense of uh the engine and things like that and in this prologue we're literally seeing both of those things running into one another um in in very weird ways yeah so i think that it's interesting because you can you can think about it in terms of the way you just said it which is like think about the developers and like the, the creative dna behind it and like mm-hmm. these kind of different streams and the way I think about it, which probably isn't super accurate, but it's it's very much just the kind of an aesthetic surface level way I'm categorizing it is we started with Baldur's Gate. And then if you think about the chronological release, there are these it's almost like the opposite, <laughs> the opposite of synthesis happens. Mm-hmm. Wherein you get Planescape Torment and then Icewind Dale. And it's almost like the two extremes that were that should have met. The two an- antitheses that should have met to produce Baldur's Gate, it works backwards. And you have this one game, Planescape Torment, that is just hyper story focused, and another game, Icewind Dale, which is the opposite. Hmm. Just, a, 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 just like all of the combat with minimal story, <laughs> and, and Planescape Torment's the opposite. Yeah, it is. It, you can feel that already in the intro because because that's what's been told to me, right? Is that mm-hmm. you know, Icewind Dale is the more combat focused, and Baldur's Gate, even though I would say it's story light in some places, is still much more story story focused. And Baldur's Gate Two is very story focused, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think about these scripted events with Sam and Haverian. By the way, I want to say this now before I forget. I made a huge mistake in not creating Saman Haverian as a as a player character in this in Icewind Dale. <laughs> I got halfway through this uh, and I was like, "Damn, I shouldn't have made Saman Haverian like one of my party members." Oh man, uh, but but I didn't do that. But but yeah, you can feel already um, the kind of uh, prevalence of combat here, and I can say already here too that the dungeon design of Icewind Dale is the dungeon design of Fallout 1 and 2. And it's not the dungeon design of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, which is that when you go down into a dungeon, for the most part in those games, it is a story-oriented reason you're doing that. And especially Baldur's Gate 2, uh, you you proceed through that dungeon, right? So you, like, go into it, and you find, you know, the Forgotten God at the bottom, and you, like, do some story shit there. Yeah. Or you, you know, you go to... Um, uh, you know, the stuff with Furcrag, right? And you clear out all that stuff and you realize, oh shit, there's a dragon here. And he's mm-hmm. like my quest giver, all that stuff. Uh, that is not the case so far in Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know what's in the bottom of the, the thing? There's an ogre with a crate behind him. Yes. Um, and that's very much like Fallout 1 and 2. It's wild. I haven't gone back to look at the first couple of episodes that we played of Siege of Dragonspear. Mm-hmm. But big Siege of Dragon Spear vibes here. Yeah, well, Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's easy mm-hmm. to like, it's easy for Siege of Dragon Spear to kind of pull one over on you because there are these scripted events, but it's linear. 
the dungeons like you yeah, go sure. in and you, it, they're like super objective based mm-hmm. it doesn't have the gygaxian naturalism of any of the dungeons of Baldur's gate it's like oh th- these things are here to fight that's why they exist here well, I, I so that's actually why I'm hmm hine here because I don't know. I hmm, I'm thinking about the first dungeon of Siege of Dragon Sphere, right? Which was that kind of ball temple thing that you're going through. Yeah, and the difference I think between Icewind Dale, I think in in broad strokes you're right, but I think that there's a difference happening at the the level of uh you know moment to moment because. Siege of Dragon Sphere is very like 3.5, D&D 3.5 um, module design in that it's like, okay, now you're in the torture room. <laughs> There's tortures. Now you're in the fire beetle room. There's mm-hmm. fire beetles. Now you're in the room with a secret door. Can you find the secret door? You did it, right? Like it, it has these kind of like step by step. So I agree with you in the sense of, you know, hyperlinear each each area is its own encounter, and it's kind of balanced and designed. At least so far in this game, right? Which is mm-hmm. just the prologue, so who knows? A lot of things can happen in Icewind Dale. But it's so much closer to me to Fallout 1 and 2 in the sense that it's like, this is the goblin dungeon. You are going to go into every room, and there will be some walls, and there's going to be goblins. You're mm-hmm. there, might be, goblins. there might be an elite goblin. Maybe there's an elite goblin, but there might not be an elite goblin. <laughs> They don't have diverse tactics of anything. There's no fire beetle room, right? It's yeah. just the go- the whole thing is goblin room, and I'm I'm certain that's going to get more diverse and wide. This is you know a tutorial essentially for the mm-hmm. game, but that's how every dungeon or the vast majority, I would say ninety five of the ninety five percent of the dungeons in Fallout One and Two are. It's like this is the place with geckos. You are going into. <laughs> The gecko room. The next room is also the gecko room. The next room. So, so I, I think in broad structure, you're right in the sense that the you know you're moving from point A to point B with very little um, Gygaxian kind of design to it. Uh, and I actually wrote down in my notes for this. This is non Gygaxian. <laughs> yeah. What, what do the goblins do with their poop? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> there's no hot yug here. <laughs> there's not an hot yug. How could this have an ecology? Right. So there's not an ecological relation. Um, but, but, uh, but it does feel flat. I guess that's what I'm describing, right? At least there's some kind of like hills and valleys to what the, the types of encounters are having in Siege of Dragon Spear are. There's no hills and hills and valleys here, here, right? This is just a plateau of goblins. Yeah. Um, with one end boss in it too. No, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think that, I think that we're good to move into kind of our first experiences in this, which this is new for us, what we're about mm-hmm. to talk about with character creation, because in Icewind Dale, you can create your whole party. And there are not recruitable characters you can find along the way to supplement your party. So you are creating mm-hmm. your party. Yep. It's um, like a straight up classic D&D experience. Oh, yeah. It's a straight-up classic D&D experience. And even though we haven't done this in Mages and Murder Dads, this is deeply baked in to com- the history of computer role-playing games. Like, mm-hmm. you can yeah. you can look at the Wikipedia and, like, there are, like, a couple of things made in 79, and one of them, you, cr- you start and you control, you know, like, you create a whole party. And then by the time you get to the early 80s with... Um, Ultima 
and with like some of the early adaptations of like D&D modules, you're creating your whole party. And like there's no yeah. like characterization of your party members uh, done by the game. That's all just like you're supposed to do. You're supposed to imagine the relationships that your party members have. A hundred percent. Yeah, the kind of um, gold box games that you're talking about, you know, the, these early G&D games. And then also like the the long history of wizardry, yes, and might and magic, right? All of those are like create your own D and D party and then go go do D and D stuff, right? Go do mm-hmm. fantasy adventuring, a hundred percent. And so, I mean, that is something that's interesting, I guess, to point out as you're saying that Baldur's Gate's the aberration there of yes the, of even even to the level that it does, which you know I think compared to to Icewind Dale is pretty significant. You know, attach a unique story to one character and then the kind of world revolves around them that you know that's kind of a probably not an, an innovation in the sense of like that's implicit in a lot of the ultima games right um that you're like one one singular important figure um but uh certainly for this trajectory the isometric rpg trajectory um this icewind dale is unique in that regard and it was actually really funny you know when uh when my main character died the first time i was like oh Dang. And then I didn't get a game over screen. I was like, yeah. oh my God, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> the world, But then I just, uh, I quick loaded my game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because also having a character die at this point is bad. It's sure. a bad time. So I didn't bother. But um, but yeah, well, tell me about char- how character creation went for you. Because I have a whole, you know, a whole big narrative of, uh, of my dudes and how I made them and, and what that's like. Uh, you know, tell me about uh, who, who you made. Yeah, so we had a discussion about this over Discord, you know, Mm -hmm. as we were, you know, doing our independent character creations. And I looked it up and I said, here's the issue. Icewind Dale canonically Mm -hmm. takes place, if you look at like the date in Dale Reckoning. (laughs) Uh, DR. In DR, as we all know, Mm -hmm. the way in which time is measured in the Forgotten Realms. Yep. Um. It takes place before the canonical Balthazar was ever born. By like a hundred and something years. By a hundred and something years. Because we leave Candlekeep at like the age of, it's like the age of 18, right? Sure. You, you spent, you know, your your youth here and like, you know, your, your passage into adulthood is uh, getting kicked out of the university. Yep. As, as actually, that's very... It really is. I need to. Yeah. I'm ta- I'm making a note of this. <laughs> That's going to be a tweet a month from now after I workshop it. Okay. Um. So in any case, so the issue here is, do I make a Balthazar if it's, you know, if it's going to have this time angle? And we decided, you know what, Balthazar is an idea that transcends mm-hmm. uh, time and space. Uh, there is a, uh, there's a Balthazar in Icewind Dale. In, in, in this time. So I have created Balthazar. I re I, I think I recorded on my little uh, footage mm-hmm. myself re-rolling for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Mm, great. Um, I, I, until I got like a aggregate score of 88, I dumped charisma mm-hmm. and I've got like a 19 in strength, 19 in constitution, 18 in dexterity, 18 in wisdom, maybe 10 in intelligence. Half-orc barbarian? Half-orc barbarian. This is interesting because character creation has a little bit more... There's a little bit more option here um, than I remember in maybe Baldur's Gate 1. 
I think yeah. That the, oh, mm-hmm. Well, sorry, just to say really briefly too, we are playing the enhanced edition. We are Icewind Dale, and I I I agree with you. Um, I thought I don't know why I had this belief that the enhanced editions had kind of like flattened all of these games in that like you know every every game has what every other game has in it because for example the kits that are that were initially never available in Baldur's Gate one had been reimported into Baldur's Gate 1 uh, out of Baldur's Gate 2 in the Enhanced Editions, mm-hmm. right? Because you couldn't have been a barbarian, I don't believe, in uh, the original Baldur's Gate 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case with Icewind Dale. I think Icewind Dale has imported some of those things or, you know, that, are, that are shared amongst these games, but some of them um, are not. Mm-hmm. You know, they have been maintained as unique to Icewind Dale. So, and I think I'll have one of those or maybe a couple of those too. Yeah, so they're just interesting little class kits associated with each class. Uh, so technically a barbarian is like a subclass of fighter. And the kits are interesting because I think when we talk about contemporary Dungeons & Dragons, usually subclasses don't take away class features. But the mm-hmm. kits in Icewind Dale and in some of the other uh, these enhanced editions will just like, oh, this kit <laughs> straight up wholesale like replaces several class features, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you lose weapon proficiency like maximums when you choose Barbarian, for example. Hmm. Um, and uh, there was actually, there's like a Berserker class that doesn't mm-hmm. have the armor restriction that Barbarian does, but the Berserk has like a... Uh, like after you finish berserking, which is very similar to barbarian rage, but a little different, you mm-hmm. you're like vulnerable afterwards when you you're catching your breath. So I'm just a, I'm a I'm a half orc barbarian. I'm doing um I'm doing uh, dual wielding long swords uh, because it's it's a pretty safe bet to specialize in long swords in these games because there's just always a lot of them. That's good. It's going to be like the widest. Uh, or like deepest uh, weapon category. Yeah, and there's some uh, weapons. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are some weapons that are in Icewind Dale that are not in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Yes, or like they categorize them differently. Oh, I I didn't notice that, but I mean, they're just straight-up weapons here that weren't in there. There's a two-handed axe that's just not in any of the other games. Yeah. Uh, Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think there are a couple others too, but but I thought that was... uh, a fascinating little addition. If I'd known about that beforehand, I might have oriented some of my characters toward it. But um, that's it. That's that's your one. That's your one dude. Yeah, it's it's just it's just one guy, and uh, I'm doing it again, y'all. There's not so, going to be Danny's big problem. I'm completely short circuiting this. I'm not mm-hmm. going to replay this after because well, I've already figured it out. Uh, goodbye. You know, it's the uh, you know the meme. You know. <laughs> Drake looking unhappy face, mm-hmm. Danny's big problem. Mm-hmm. Drake looking happy face, Danny's big solution. They, oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, look, you, you don't have problems if you just start out perfect. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's that's Danny's big catchphrase. <laughs> Is that what you want me to say at the end of every, every episode when I'm having to, like, ad-lib? What's the... What's nope. the... Sh- nope. I, no, I want you to ad-lib it. Okay. Every single time. Well, I made a full party. And you know who the first one was? Is it Ticklevar? 
I actually don't think I made tickle far first, but yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, it, it, I, good old fashioned. And my logic here is that uh, we all know, everyone knows that Balthazar's father in one universe and Ticklevar's father in the other universe, or in some other universe, maybe not the other universe, but some other universe is uh, Ball, mm-hmm. you know, the god of uh, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. But. Ticklevar's mother had a whole line of ancestry going on back. Mm-hmm. So this is Ticklevar's great, great, great grandfather, Ticklevar. There you go, yeah. On his mother's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, because sorcerers, he's a sorcerer, of course. Um, and I, I didn't go back and look at my previous footage, so I don't remember if this is true, but I made him a half-elf this time. Mm. <laughs> I guess I don't remember if he was a half-elf before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made him he's a half-elf. And uh, we know he's a sorcerer. Which everyone in the Discord ruthlessly shit talks all the time. I've got to get in there defending sorcerers all the time. I've got to get my bows in to say sorcerers are cool. They're neat. They're legally distinct entities. <laughs> don't, don't make fun of them compared to warlocks and, and mages, please. They're cool. Um, but uh, sorcerers have magical blood. Uh, mm-hmm. And if people don't remember, if they're just diving into uh, into this game for some reason and not listening to the oh, 70-some-odd episodes beforehand... You're welcome Welcome to the show, by the way. But sorcerers, uh, unlike mages, right, they don't have spells per day in the sense that they don't memorize a certain number of, of each number of spell, right? They don't, they don't prepare a spell book. They just have spells that they get at each level, and then they have a hard cap of the number of spells they can cast, and they select from those spells out of that. So it's kind of like a, they kind of cast like a cleric would. Yeah, because it's intuitive rather than intellectual. Mm-hmm. It lives it's in just, their elbows and their knees and whatnot. Yeah, it's just, they, they know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not because of study and not because they made a deal with some nefarious entity. Yeah. Oh, God, it's the sorcerer police again. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so yeah, so that's what's up. And But I, I made a whole other party, and I don't yeah. want to belabor the point. I, yeah. I will say it did take me a full 30 minutes just to put this together. <laughs> and I think I told you, yeah, we do the prologue in 40, type 45. <laughs> yeah, and so it took me roughly double that amount of time to do the prologue. And actually, it took me longer to do the prologue than you might think. Uh, maybe maybe this is unsurprising to anyone who's listened to the show before. But uh, <laughs> just given on how I play these games and how perhaps suboptimally I'm about to create this party. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I'll give you the rundown really quick. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I, got, I got some characters. I got uh, Gert Tumpkins. Gert Tumpkins was originally going to be just a raw dwarf fighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I made her, um, and uh, I, I was looking around, and a fighter kit that is only available to dwarves is called Dwarven Defender. Mm. I started reading about that. You get defensive stance once per day, and it gives you 50% resistance to all forms of physical damage, a, two, a plus two bonus to saving throws, and a 50% movement rate penalty. So you're like, you know, getting beefy and, mm-hmm. and fighting. They get a, a 5% resistance to crushing, slashing, piercing, and missile damage every five la- levels to a maximum of 20% at level 20. Ooh. Which seems pretty good. Like, even if we only get to level 10, I don't know how far this game goes, but even if I only got to level 10, that would still be 10% resistance. That's pretty good. Yeah. And a D12 hit die. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it comes at some, um, uh, like proficiency uh, costs in like how much proficiency you get for weapons mm-hmm. 
and it's just like high mastery for axes and warhammers and specialization in any other weapon. So just two pips. And I thought mm-hmm. that seems fine. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like I, I'm okay with that. So I, I took a dwarven defender because it seemed like a cool thing to play with, and it just seemed like a, a little bit of an addition or you know an interesting complication to the fighter, and not really a high cost in any way. No, and I think when you're rolling with six, you can afford specialization here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a cool specialization. Here's one that's less cool. I made a character named Tony Monsters. <laughs> okay. And uh, he's a conjurer. He's you know a mage, wizard. He's a conjurer. And but we started at level one in this game, right? That's right. Conjurers can't do anything at level one <laughs> because some the, basically the the coolest spells in D and D are not conjuring spells at level one, right? Hmm. Um, and in fact, to be a conjurer, right, if you choose a school of magical specialization, right, in the, in the classic D&D kind of thing, there's like... You little, foreclose its opposite. Exactly. There's like a little circular diagram. And mm-hmm. so like wherever you are, are on the diagram, you get benefits there, but it comes at the cost, as you're saying, to the other side of the diagram. The other side of the diagram for conjuration is invocation. Mm. So you can't do anything cool. <laughs> You know, I can't cast Magic Missile. And so mm. right now, Tony Monsters is the worst slingshotier <laughs> on the planet. And that's all he does. Because can he you can even, cast, like, conjure, like, a shield? He can cast armor on himself. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, the worst. And if you're using a slingshot, it's not like you're up in melee combat. He also only has six hit points. So it's not like, you know, he he's doing the business. Um and so he can do that, and he can also cast, um, I don't know, some other bad spell. So, But the, he's idea, a little bit... the idea of Tony Monsters is you get a couple levels, and then you're, you're, you're summoning monsters left and right. Exactly. The, the, my main goal for, for Tony Monsters is that every battle he will summon five monsters <laughs> who will battle for him, which will be cool. Yeah. And that might be terrible at some point in this game, and I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I, hope that it, I hope that it's clear at this point. By watching me play, especially me playing these games, that I don't care. <laughs> I'm just playing the games in a way that I enjoy, mm-hmm. and sometimes that means that I will not enjoy, like a, a hard five percent of the game. Sometimes playing the game the way the way you enjoy it means you can't enjoy the game. Yeah, it means you. It means that literally the game is unplayable at certain portions, yeah. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to accept it. And uh, I would love for you to use my own words against me <laughs> that I've just said right now at some point in, in, in the future. I expect mm-hmm. it. Um, what, who else I got here? I got uh, Faith of the Shield. You know, I got, I got, I got, uh, you know, I got fun with my names. Yeah. Um, I, and I was going to make just a, a normal cleric, but then I was looking at these kits again. You know, why not? And I uh, saw that you can be a priest of Helm, and and Helm Ooh. is kind of the the god of law enforcement, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I mean, <laughs> like a, you know, read the uh, the uh, Avatar, the Avatar trilogy, quadrilogy, <laughs> I guess at this point. You tell me what's up with Helm. And um, yeah, so the advantages here. The only disadvantages are alignment, and alignment does not matter in any kind, way, shape, or form. I don't think. <laughs> there are going to be a couple of items that have like alignment restrictions. That is well, it. great. Every character that I've made here is chaotic good, except for this character. So mm-hmm. I don't care. 
Um, uh, Priest of Helm, so disadvantages are just that, but advantages are you can cast True Sight once per day every five levels, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. True Sight's very useful across all these games, as far as I understand. Sure. And you can cast Seeking Sword once per day. Seeking Sword creates a sword in the cleric's hand that cannot be dropped or unequipped. The Enchanted Sword is a plus four weapon and provides a plus four Thacko bonus, but no damage bonus. It deals, two, it deals 2d4 damage to any target it hits. The weapon sets the number, the cleric's number of attacks per round to three and lasts one, per one round per level. You get that so you at get, level one? You get that at level one, and so you get to blow that, but you only get it for one, one round per level, right? Mm -hmm. But you're getting three attacks per round, so even at level one, that's pretty sweet, right? Yeah, and with um, plus four, you're hitting. Yes, you're going to hit. And so, yeah, currently it's the obliterate whatever enemy I'm fighting, you know, button. Mm. Uh, so it's pretty cool. It's like I've used it one or two times, and it's only good for, you know, smashing an enemy right in front of you. But at level one, being able to guarantee smash the enemy right in front of you is a pretty pretty good benefit. That's good. Yeah, so i got a Priest of Helm. Um, who Two else more. I got here? Two more. I got Clang. Okay. A halfling, and I was going to make a thief, and I got looking at it. <laughs> I got looking at those classes, and I made a halfling swashbuckler. Ooh. Um, swashbucklers just kind of get weapon proficiencies and um, some, like, not good stuff after that. Hold on, I, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, it seems like swashbuckler is, like, so there's kind of two... There's two ideas when it comes to thieves. There's like, okay, strictly stealth utility mm -hmm. or like attacking from stealth. And then the swashbuckler is, hey, I want I want kind of a fightery guy, but with a little bit of stealth, with a little bit of like roguishness. Yeah, and Icewind Dale is a little bit weird because much like, you know, all of these Infinity Engine games, it's a weird kind of melding of, of D&D 2.5 rules mm -hmm. and a little bit of a melding of like the beginning of 3.5 mm -hmm. uh, or 3.0, sorry. And uh, Icewind Dale even adds some more complication to that because it gives you specific options in the menu for choosing how thieves work using the a different backstab rule mm -hmm. for... Right, and I just saw that, and I thought, good God, I never want to think about this even a little bit. And so, swashbucklers can't backstab, so I never have to think about it. And there cannot perform sneak attacks or uh, what are called crippling strikes. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, but the advantages I get here, right, are plus one bonus to armor class, um, plus one bonus to hit and damage rolls every five levels, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can place three slots and two weapon style. So basically, it's like you get you get someone who's a little bit of a, a thief and a little bit of a just like frontline fighter, you know, able to hit with uh, two melee weapons. And the reason I wanted a thief uh, is not for the backstab. And I know that people are going to let me know about all the benefits of backstab <laughs> and all those things. I know about those benefits. And I know that they can confer huge benefits <laughs> to it. I'm never going to micromanage these things. I, I hope it is brutally clear how I play these games at this point, <laughs> that I'm not going to micromanage these things. And so knowing that, I would rather have the swashbuckler. Um, but the reason I wanted a thief in some some form or, or fashion is that I want to be able to um, pick locks and I want to be able to um, uh, detect traps. Sure. Uh, and I can use my cleric for that too, and I, I will be doing that. But since I know this is more of a dungeon delvey game in a broad sense, I thought both of those skills would be very important. I think that's um, going to pan out. I think that that seems right. 
Um, and I got one more here. Oh, yeah, and I got uh, Margaret Jones. Okay. Who is a uh, a paladin, but you know me. Mm-hmm. Start looking at those kits. <laughs> All right. Man, it was. this is really a complete turnaround from our Discord conversation where you just, like, listed, you know, three-fourths of your party, and you're like, these are going to be standard. These are going yeah. to be. I'm just going with the, the normal thing. You know me. Normal, you know, mm-hmm. plain Jones over there. Yeah, I just started looking at it, and I thought, <laughs> oh, it, because it's, it's what you were talking about, right? It's like uh, advantages and disadvantages. And when I started looking and realizing, like, oh, if I if I make the party this way, then the disadvantages aren't really going to matter so much, right? So, for example, I've got two casters and a fighter, or, you know, the Dwarven Defender, mm-hmm. who, and I've got this thief. And so that's four characters who can use ranged weapons, you know, between spellcasting and, and slingshots and bows and all that kind of stuff, sure, right? Sure, sure. And so if, it, if that matters, right, it actually did end up mattering um, for this prologue, well, then, for example, here with the, the the Paladin, I don't really have to worry about the disadvantage here because I chose a Cavalier. Mm. The description here is, the, the class represents the most common image of the knight, chivalrous warrior who epitomizes honor, courage, and loyalty. They specialize in battling classical evil monsters such as demons and dragons, right? So this is like, you know, St. George you mm-hmm. know, is, is the deal here, right? So the disadvantage here is may not use ranged weapons, period, right? So this is a Paladin uh, kit, that cannot use ranged weapons. And you might think, oh, that's bad. But here are the advantages. Plus three bonus to hit and damage rolls against demons, devils, dragons, and wyverns. And I don't know which of these are going to show up, but <laughs> I'll be goddamned if in a one of them game, will. Yeah, if none of these show up, I will, I will um, I'll eat a piece of paper with this printed out on it. <laughs> that's, that's my promise to you. Mm-hmm. And I'll record it and I'll put it in the episode. Yeah. Much like Werner Herzog eating that shoe. Um, so so the plus three bonus to hit and damage. That's big. May yeah. cast remove fear once per day per level. Specifically because uh dragons mm-hmm. have this like fear effect, right? So if you need if you're going to make a dragon slayer archetype, you have to have some way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And demons mm-hmm. and devils, I think, can just cast that, right? With yes. Their spellcasting yeah. kind of repertoire. Immune to charm, fear, poison, and morale failure. Yes, and the, once again, this is mm-hmm. all of the big. Like this is like the boss killer uh, character, right? Yes. Like those are all like the, uh, I guess, colloquially known as like save or suck. Yes, because uh, you know a modifier of the save or die. So like all of those effects being like basically incapacitating your character. No, can't be incapacitated by these kind of big boss abilities. Yes, and 20% resistance to fire and acid. Mm. So you're just, I'm just standing a breath weapon all day mm-hmm. long. And so I specialized uh, Margaret Jones in a two-handed swords. Mm-hmm. And she's just going to go to town. She's my like, big damage dealer, you know. Gonna, gonna try to get the biggest, most badass weapons in her hands and put her front line up, up in the thing with my Is daughter. Margaret Jones a, a human? Margaret Jones is just a straight up human who uh, came from a different world. I have like a like a like you know maybe I'll pepper this into the episodes, but I have a general idea of the the backstory of these characters because right they don't have any any sort of characterization. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's fun to think about that. And yeah, she you know uh, got uh, planar doored in sigil style mm-hmm. from uh, you know she was an oil worker. 
1988 in the Gulf of Mexico, and now she's a Cavalier. Dang. Yeah. So that's that's my party, and it took a long time to make them because I had to read all these kits, of course. <laughs> sure. And I I don't think this is by anyone's estimation like the perfect party or anything like that. But uh, I think it'll be interesting and fun to to do it, and I think that they will at least have a strategy for most of the encounters that uh, that we run into, even at level one, which was a hard one. But uh, I've been talking a long time about my party. Tell me about this intro thing, this intro story that we saw. I was really surprised by this. <laughs> you were surprised by this, so a little oh bit, my yeah. Lord. So it's very interesting, and you're going to have to... It's actually been a little bit since I played and watched the intro, so you're going to have to fill in the blanks for me. Okay. This is the one... This this very intro thing is like... It just recites a legend. Yeah. <laughs> About... Is it Jared? Well, it starts... Oh, no, we got to back up, bud. Oh, my God, okay. So it starts, and it's like, this is a story about people in the fantasy world. We know all about light and darkness. So it kind of sets up, you know, in the in uh, Baldur's Gate, where there's, like, the Nietzsche quote, you know? That's right. Where, where it's, like, looking into the abyss. <laughs> this one is, like, sometimes heroes bring light to the world. <laughs> it's, like, not nearly as interesting oh. uh, as a quote. And then it's, like... I've memorized the story. I've been collecting it for years. Let me show you. And then, like, the, the, the um, video shows them, like, opening up a book with the Icewind Dale logo on the front. So the idea is, like, this is the beginning of a tale that you and I will be a part of. This is some real Prince of Persia stuff. It's some real Prince of Persia stuff. There is a... Um, so uh, what is Icewind Dale? You tell me this. I'm going to ask you some formative questions, and then, then we can get to the thing. What is okay. Icewind Dale? The location? Icewind Dale is a region that is far north of Waterdeep and kind of represents the hinterlands of the well-trod um, kind of forgotten realms as we know it, right? Mm -hmm. It is the northern extremity of this place. And famous since the in, in our world, right? Not in fiction. Mm -hmm. Famous since the 1980s, because this is where the Icewind Dale trilogy is, you know, a massively popular D&D novelization. Featuring our, our favorite um, good dark elf, Drzzt. Drzzt. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, so like, it, I think that this is, it's a natural place to put a character like Drzzt, because mm -hmm. it is like at the periphery of civilization this is how it this is like it, it it's kind of um purpose in mm -hmm. the forgotten realms it is that it, it exists to show this is the this is the, the this delimits where civilization you know resides mm -hmm. um and in those novels right there's a those novels are kind of all about the reclamation of icewind dale itself from like a horde of, uh, you know, orcs, there's a dragon involved, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and these dwarves are trying to reclaim their ancestral homeland, basically. Some real the, hobbit stuff. It's some real hobbit stuff, right? It's like, what if, hmm, what if uh, Moria had to go get cleared out? You know, it's a big-ass dungeon, <laughs> you gotta clear that thing out. That's basically the deal, right? So Icewind Dale is famous already, and it's on this region, um, or near this massive mountain range, called the spine of the world mm -hmm. that's inhabited by all these creatures and critters and whatnot but also people 
and also people. Where do they live? So here's the thing about the people. Mm-hmm. I'll get to mm-hmm. the like the where, but they're barbarians. Some of them are barbarians. Some of them are barbarians. I guess I, that's the the thing is. I, th- I think it's interesting to note that there is a character class in this game called barbarian mm-hmm. that I guess exists because of Conan. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but there are also just like. People who live in Icewind Dale who've lived there a long time and who are not, who are outsiders are just kind of like, there's this big label. Like they, they are barbarians. I don't know if they're all barbarians in terms of class. I think they are. <laughs> you think every, you think like, uh, I think yes, even Wolfgar, the- Wolfgar, the barbarian. Who mm-hmm. is a uh, you know from Icewind Dale in the novels? Mm-hmm. He's a barbarian. No, I think Wolfgar is. But do you think like Wolfgar's cobbler? Yeah, I think that he has a level one, zero one barbarian. Skill, yeah, he's put one skill pip <laughs> into uh, cobbling, mm-hmm. and and is a level one barbarian. Yeah, they don't farm. It's too cold. <laughs> There's no dirt farmers here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think everyone who is a barbarian, who is culturally a barbarian, has access fiction. to barbarian rage. Y- yes, because it's so much a, worse than I thought. <laughs> I have a reason to believe that that's lore related in a moment. Okay, but uh, but yes, I do believe that. And then there's also this kind of like um, not barbarian group uh, who's part of ten towns. Yes, the ten towns. This is like the uh, these are like the points of light to use a four E ism of the mm-hmm. Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. So, so there are all these like groups. You know, there's like um, basically colonizers, right, from mm-hmm. the Sword Coast, and they're the ten towns uh, zone. And then there's uh, I don't know yet if this has happened yet, but it, at some point in Icewind Dale, there's going to be dwarves hanging mm-hmm. out. And then there's barbarians who live there. Mm-hmm. But the story, the storybook begins with an archmage named Arakon <laughs> conquering the north. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. I just, so I've got this up, pulled up in YouTube with, mm-hmm. the, with it muted. Uh-huh. This is a, uh, this sequence, this is a five minute sequence. It's long. It's a long story, mm-hmm. and it's a D&D ass story. Yes. Uh, in fact, everything that has happened so far in this prologue, or that happens in this prologue, as we're going to talk about it over the next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, is, is a D&D module from 1985. It's distilled. It is like, yes. it is... Yes. <laughs> It's, it's not like, dynamic in any way. <laughs> no, but it is It is just one of these things where you took the, some of the most D&D-ash stuff and you, you're you like, no, we need to age this. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a fine, finely aged mm-hmm. concoction of mm-hmm. D&D stuff, right? So Aracon comes from somewhere, right? And he brings a mercenary army. Yeah. And all these barbarians are living up here. And he comes to conquer and enslave the barbarians. Yes. And that's where we get to Jared. That's where we get to Jared. Jared uh, makes a stand. And he, mm-hmm. I, I think it's like the classic, um, you know, the barbarians are portrayed as like divided. They're in their mm-hmm. different tribes. But Jared yeah, is. Different clans. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they all have different. Because barbarians have the option of choosing different like styles, right? Is that not the case? 
Yeah, I guess bear, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. And this this is something we see in uh, in later Dungeons and Dragons that's elaborated. But you could be like a wolf barbarian or a bear barbarian mm. that kind of take but, on naturalistic aspects of various things. But in any case, Jared is able to unite the clans mm-hmm. um, and is able to. Um, basically oppose this dark mage figure um mm-hmm. Aracon Aracon mm-hmm. that's a cool name and there's this big battle that doesn't get a lot of like screen time in, in the story but it's there there's like you know there's this uh darkest hour situation uh, after right after Jared unites the clans they go face Aracon and they're they're whooping Aracon they 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 beat him up pretty bad. They're taking it right to him. He he is about to be slain mm-hmm. by Jared himself, probably. And Eric Ericon had one last spell slot. Mm-hmm. Right. One level nine spell. One level nine spell. And he's like, oh, it's gotta be a good one because this this is getting uh this is getting pretty bad. And opens a portal to just the lower plane so like some demons pop <laughs> pop out yes, and it's I, bad it's bad shit <laughs> it's real bad and here's the thing they don't care whose side is what yeah they don't care about barbarians versus mercenaries they don't it's all the same to them yeah and so the these these uh demons right roll out of here mm-hmm. and just start eating dudes left and right and like the images of them eating dudes and like ripping them apart is pretty wild there's like one or two shots of that and it's like you know this demon's got like half a dude in his hand the art style is pretty good like this this intro cinematic it's like pretty effective at what it's doing for a bunch of still images and and, and it and there are times when it like zooms into the book and it colorizes mm-hmm. it's almost I'm- like we are we're g- looking past the page and like seeing what the page is depicting I really like the art style for this game. It has this kind of like darker fantasy, you know, gritty fantasy vibe to it. Who's that uh that artist that was um he did all of the uh those early Conan um mm. Frank uh Frazetta? Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Non heroic imagery almost. This this is D and D really leaning into uh and not caring about the um the connotations with like Satanism. A hundred percent. It's like we don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, here's some here's some pictures of just demons eating people like uh <laughs> like Kronos eating his children. <laughs> yeah. Uh I hope you enjoy it. Hope you hope you like blood sprays, but yeah. um mm-hmm. anyway. Jared says, "Oh shit, these demons are here." And and he pray he sees it as a sign. He he I really like the storytelling. He like looks off in the distance and all hope is lost, and he sees a lone figure like on a mountaintop, and he's like, "Oh shit, that's Tempest telling me what to do." And he dives into the portal, like whipping ass the whole way. And as his blood like shoots out of his body, um, and like melds with the portal edges or whatever. This is one of the best illustrations, by the way. It's so cool. It looks really good. And like a flash of white light or something appears here, mm-hmm. and um, uh, 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 Aracon couldn't come up. I was going to call him Arrakis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a different thing. Um, uh, Aracon, he's gone. The demons are gone, and Jared is like floating there. In carbonite, basically. Like yeah, yeah it is like stone. him in relief. Yeah, in a stone. It, it caught in this moment of like absolute victory and absolute loss, 
you know, mm-hmm. theoretically, sacrifice. yes, sacrifice, like uh, being tormented for all time, presumably. Um, but but uh, you know, the day is won based on his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So D and D ass kind of stuff, right? Like everything that we just said is like stereotype and and like very uh, distilled, as you said, D and D ideas. Damn, they're cool though. <laughs> no, and, and here's the thing: I think that there is a there is a flavor of this when uh-huh, yeah. when things tumble in the right order that can still get somewhere interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is here we have a bunch of stereotypes playing off each other, like you said, but we now have been introduced to like a Christ-like figure. Mm-hmm. And this mythology surrounding this Christ-like figure. And a kind of this, this moment in history of like, this is why Icewind Dale exists the way it does. Without this figure, without this story, it looks completely different, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, mm-hmm. it's just, like, that's just the beginning of like, this is apocalypse forestalled, right? Because otherwise, this this uh, hole uh, to the to the hells or to you know the lower planes just stays open, and it, it, we're just done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is it's compelling stuff. <laughs> like, there's no other way to say it. It's mm-hmm. this is more compelling than uh, the opening of many other games that we've played. But it also, you know, part of the reason that you know it's so D and D ass in that in that way, right? Is that this is exactly how a classic module is set up, and it's actually how, like, you know, you can pick up a fifth edition D and D module today, or you know, adventure book, whatever they're called now, and you're going to see the same thing, which is like there's a story that the DM is supposed to read that sets up the background for this place, and they determine how much of the you know the characters know that, but you know, there's some fundamental push and pull historical force and you know you read even the fifth edition dm's guide and they're going to tell you you know one of the guiding principles of dungeons and dragons as a concept is that uh history has happened right like civilizations Mm -hmm. have come and passed uh big conflicts have an echo into the present and so uh this is exactly like reading that little story chunk at the beginning of the village of homeland or whatever right it's like okay so this is what happened, and like this is the kind of thing that eventually this party's going to run into. They're going to run into the echo through history of the, this thing that happens. Um, and usually it is like pretty distant in the past. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and we don't really know. I don't have a good sense. I mean, I think they might tell us, but I don't remember how far back this was. But it's a while. People, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it's right on there. They're not like, damn, Jared just died. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, th- that's not the, the thing. But anyway, thus enters our party. Because uh, we just come on a little caravan to end yeah. up in the little little uh, village of East Haven, looking for adventure at the the spine of the world. Now, is East Haven a tin town? Yes, it's like the tenth one, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it's the lowest level. <laughs> it's the, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's small. It's a little bitty. Yeah, there's only mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, it feels like a real place you know in that it's got you know like 10 or 15 buildings you get the sense that there's a little bit more to it mm-hmm. but you know it's got like you know if i were making a little D town it's what what yeah. i've got in it right it's got like a temple the mayor's house it's got the, the temple it's got the inn. it's got mm-hmm. the the one um shop owner whose depiction is racist yep uh, yep it does first and... dialogue first dialogue three dialogue screens in we literally said, oh, well, you know, there's a Pomab, and gosh, his prices are bad, even for a Kalashite. 
Yeah, and so if, if you're not familiar, Cal, Cal Sham is kind of like the ambiguous, um, kind of Near East, I would say, right? Yeah. Because, um, uh, you know, so it's like the kind of Turkey, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, kind of at the edge of, I'm for, I'm blanking on the name of the actual Middle East. Um, like, I, I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. I got a, there's a little bit of an Arabian vibe with, uh, yes. with Cal Sham. Um, but I think I think Near East might be a, a decent. Um... Yeah, it, it's like run by the 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 Pashas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's I, I mean, Kalisham Caliphate. <laughs> I think I sure. think that's maybe not not an accident. Lots of names. Uh, the Kalisham's capital was the sprawling port city of Kalimport, home to Emperor Sil Pasha Raylan El Pesarkal. Right, so you get these. Mm-hmm. These like pseudo um, real world names. The Forgotten Realms is just chock full of like these weird uh, racist representations of like the rest of the world that are it's, crammed into fiction. It's and... wild that uh, like it's interesting to play this game and like that stuck out to me so much. Like yeah. this third dialogue screen. And it reminded me of playing Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. And when you free the gnome from the little... Uh, from from his uh, torture on the windmill, right? Mm-hmm. He's spinning around the windmill. Mm-hmm. You can ask him, "Hey, where you know where are you from?" You know, or actually, there's a dialogue to say, "Oh, you're a long way from the Underdark, right?" Mm-hmm. And if you ask him that, he chides you, and he's like, "Hey, you know, we we Swerf Neblin, we're we're all over the place. So you need to you need to stop it with that mm-hmm. kind of, those kind of assumptions, right?" Yep. And it's in a way the game chiding you for applying a logic that you have been primed to exercise for the last 20 years. Oh, way more than 20 years. <laughs> yeah, but in, I mean, in like this franchise of, of yeah, yes. but in this franchise of video games. 100%. Uh, and I like the the full tale here from 2000 to 2020 is uh it's it it's it's interesting. It is interesting yeah. to exper- be able to experience those things within a couple months of each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's like, um, you know, our Central Europeans are over there, and our uh, you know Middle Eastern stereotypes over there. Mm-hmm. Our uh, you know China stereotype, they live over there, and they uh, and and when it comes to Icewind Dale, these people behave the way they behave based yes. on where they're from and who they are. Yes, and, and then you get the same game franchise you know the lineage 20 years later um hey hey cut it out with a microaggression to the (laughs) assuming that this deep gnome lives in the underdark yeah it does uh well you know what we can take the most charitable read of that and say Mm -hmm. they've thought about it but it's also you know there's so much um discussion in DD, especially now of like why does every supplement take place in the sword coast or, you know, in those regions. And the reality is, is the rest of the Forgotten Realms is so deeply racist <laughs> that you do not want <laughs> it taking place there, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it literally would be, I, I can't imagine them setting a game in Kalimshan, yeah. right? And trying to square the circle of, like, historical racist representation. Um, also, the Forgotten Realms wiki is telling me that uh, Kalimshan is modeled after the Ottoman Empire, which makes sense. There you go. No, I think you nailed it there. Uh, as well as Arab culture. So it's a little bit of a, a combo there. Um, 
the uh but yeah so we get this you're right it's 100 like this like imported racial stereotype and um basically this dude hrothgar is his name hrothgar yeah, yeah hrothgar he shows up and like my whole party's chilling around his table and he says hey um you know you seem like adventurers you should probably go uh, buy some weapons and armor and stuff from uh um pomab over there mm-hmm and then, uh, then come see me because uh, you know I've got uh, some ideas about an expedition I'm taking over to uh, a different city called Aldar because mm-hmm. they're having some troubles. You know, there's uh, monsters bothering them. Mm-hmm. So uh, think about it. And uh, what'd you do here? It's interesting. This is a very candlekeep area. Uh, mm-hmm, in yeah. some ways, there are little quests. There are a couple of ways you can get introduced to combat. You can clear out some beetles for the innkeep, mm-hmm. uh, like some bugs in the basement. You can uh, kill a wolf that's in a like somebody's house. They're like, mm-hmm. ah, help me. You can buy. No, no, a... no, no, no. no. Uh, hold on. I gotta stop you there. Okay, with this wolf quest, with the wolf quest, because the guy he is a scrimshaw. Because yeah. that, that's that's the predominant trade of East Haven, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like D and D world building here, right? Mm-hmm. The predominant trade here is scrimshaw. The with a little bit of pelts. There's pelts like, or a thing too. Yeah, there's some pelts. So the idea is that people come uh, up the you know the the tradeway or whatever it is, right? To to here, they get scrimshaw and they bring supplies and they go back south. He says, "Hey, I'm a scrimshaw guy." And wouldn't you know it, as soon as I went into my uh, into my shop this morning, a wolf just barged right by me, and it's in there tearing ass around <laughs> my scrimshaw <laughs> shop, um, presumably eating all my bones. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's bad if you're a scrimshaw guy. You don't, you don't want, want that. You do not want that. And then he said, well, I tried to lock the door, and wouldn't you know it, I broke the lo- the key off in the lock, so I can't even get in there. <laughs> I remember that, so he wasn't even able to like unlock it for you. Exactly. Yeah. So I had to kick a, the door down. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a thing. It's a little bit of a tutorial of, like, if you've got a, um, if you've got a thief, use your lockpicking skill. If you've got a, you know, a fighter character, kick the door down. You, know, you can use your melee ability on it. Um, and lo and behold, you open that door, and I don't know what I was expecting, but there was a wolf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was there, and I had to kill it. But but I thought that was so funny that it was like, oh man, there's a wolf in my scrimshaw shop. Yeah how uh, how was a wolf? Were you a level one party? I imagine. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was that? Um, I don't think I had to reload, but it was not. It was in the cards, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one wolf can one shot one of your party members. Yes. Uh, and so you got to be a little bit careful about how you're going into these things. But I'm sorry, c- continue with your... No, uh, no, I was just saying, so it's interesting because when you've got one character, by the time I did the the bug quest, which is you talk to the innkeep, and she's like, hey, I'd bring some stuff up from the cellar, but I got there's some beetles or some weird bugs down there. I need help. Oh, that's weird. I never got a quest for it. I talked to her and I didn't learn about the bugs, and so I just killed them for no reason. Oh, so yeah, you have to specifically ask, hey, you got anything in the cellar? Oh. And then you have to like, it's very interesting. She doesn't just give you the quest. You've got to go through a couple dialogues to be like, eh, you know, I haven't been going down there. And then you have to ask, oh, well, why haven't you been going down there? That's the case with a few of these dialogue options to like learn more. They're not on the surface. You actually have to get through a couple kind of layers before you get there. And that's very Fallout 1 and 2 to me. Yeah. Um, whereas like the Baldur's Gate games would give you a big list of like, here's what all the topics are. Very Bioware, you know, mm-hmm. even into the current day. Um, 
very much this kind of uh, black aisle and now obsidian vibe of like, you're going to have to make some small talk to get to the options that give you yes. more stuff. But, um, but yeah. Which is interesting. But yeah, by the time I did that quest as a solo player, I was level two. Mm. Um, and in fact, you know, I'm going to, there's a couple other quests in here, but I do want to like at least mention this because this was like a part of my play experience. There was like a little bit of a, the, inner masochist in me perhaps when it comes to game mechanics that i went into the options and i was like oh i wonder what's what's here in terms of difficulty (laughs) and Uh so there's a difficulty slider that goes i think to insane (laughs) is a is a difficulty option in this game on the, the highest option great um but in addition separate from the slider the enhanced edition included the heart of winter Mm -hmm. option Mm mm-hmm which is just a box you click that like quintuples everything. But here's the thing. All of the difficulty modifiers increase the amount of experience you get. Yes. Um, so I did play this. I spent a couple of hours and I was like, you know what? Let's see what, what's happened here. And I did have a playthrough where I left East View, East Haven, mm-hmm. level six. Wow. The problem was... Then I ran into orcs, <laughs> and I couldn't fight two at the same time, and I couldn't like I couldn't win fights against more than one, and it was very difficult to do that. So I just reloaded, and I was like, you know what? It is this is a very easy uh, thing that could be exploited. I think it would be exploit like it would be unfair, and I don't think in the spirit of Mages and Murder Dads for me to leave East Haven at level 6 and then knock the difficulty back to normal. Mm. So so I decided to play it uh, normal and, and just like the the whatever core cool rules difficulty. Yeah, that's what, what I'm playing on as well. Mm-hmm. And for, you know, a party of 6, that probably wouldn't even get us to level 2. Yeah, so everything's getting split uh, 6 ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, we we run around. Did you did you talk to the uh, guy at the temple about? Uh, it's very Jared? interesting. There's some real uh, interpretations of like what Jared did because it seems Ooh. like there is a mainstream religious view from Tempest that doesn't necessarily view Jared's sacrifice in a positive light. Oh, really? Yeah, like the, the yeah one of the guys he was like, yeah, Jared should have gone down fighting. Hmm. Wow. That, oh, it, so because he sacrificed himself for the portal and not smashing demon noggins. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Jared is underneath that temple. Oh, yeah. No, it, like the, the, the stone version of him, right? Yeah, he's in cold storage down there. <laughs> it's in, it's like, <laughs> like Han Solo in Jabba the Hutt's basement. <laughs> exactly. He's just hanging out. Um, but I bet that's coming back. I don't, I, again, I don't know anything about the plot of Icewind Dale. So I, if I'm making a call here, that's cool. But I feel confident that having watched a whole intro cinematic about it, we're probably going to have to come back and talk to Jared Stone Jared at the bottom. This game might be the thing that breaks you. After all these years in games journalism, you just being mm-hmm. neck deep in video games. You play this game. You see the uh, the the Cavalier kit. You watch mm-hmm. this 
this cinematic and you play the rest of this game, you never meet a wyvern dragon or demon and Jared never comes back. <laughs> just every called shot is wrong. This is just the Mulholland Drive of video games. <laughs> uh, well, we'll find out. I don't know. I mean, it was a cool story. I'm glad I heard it, no matter mm. what. Yeah. You know, I would read that at the beginning of a of uh, some sort of thing. But um, Did you meet the guy that had a bunch of dreams? Yeah, I did, and I, I didn't do his quest. Did you do his quest? Yeah, there is a sea spirit in the very bottom left corner of this map. Huh. Um, I, I thought it would maybe come back in some other way, and I just I even went all the way down there, and I didn't see it. So that's a yeah, bummer. it's at the exact corner, uh, huh. really far down, and hmm. um, and there's a sea spirit, and she's been giving him visions because his ancestor was this hero that helped her long, long ago. Hmm. And in giving him visions, she's like unintentionally driving him, uh, driving him like into some real mental crisis. Yeah, he's having a hard time. Yeah, he's in like in real bad insomnia. Mm-hmm. So you tell her, "Hey, uh, what can I do here?" And she's like, "Well, I'm trying to give him this like uh, the the shards of his ancestor's sword." So there's mm. some real Aragorn Lord of the Rings stuff here, mm-hmm. and you can resolve the quest by either. Um, Either going to him and like telling him the truth and giving him the sword, or you can keep the shards of the sword and tell him, yeah, there's a bad ghost here that's haunting you, and I figured that out, and you need to give me all your physical possessions and like leave town, and that's the only way you're going to stop being haunted. Um, so you can do either one of those things. I forget. I think I did both because I wanted to see both sides of the quest. I forget what I uh, ended up on. And um, you go back to the spirit and and the spirit's like, you either lie to the spirit or tell the spirit the truth and, and you're done with the quest. So a very interesting quest for a tutorial Candlekeep level. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, but kind of saying the, the standard here of like, we're in D&D world. Yeah. Fantasy, <laughs> fantasy shit happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's spirits. Yeah, dang, I'm I'm bummed I missed that. Um, I just assumed I'll come back here and then that'll get resolved. Um, very interesting too the way that 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 quest resolves. That's also very Fallout One and Two. I would say that most of the dialogue options in this feel less like the Bioware games and more like the Fallout games. Mm. And the reason I say that is that there's a good response, like a nice medium, you know, neutral response. And then mm-hmm. there is a, I'm a huge asshole response. Mm. And, and those are generally the only two options, mm-hmm. which is very Fallout. Indeed, in, 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 the other, in the Baldur's Gate games, the majority of the responses, right, were just like, from very good to neutral negative, right? Yeah. There are very few just like, you know, uh, just being objectively and, and uncharacteristically mean to someone. But there's, there's a lot a of that. wide and limited range in this <laughs> yes. game. In other words, you get the real two uh, poles, as you were. Whereas mm-hmm. I do think that like the Baldur's Gate games, I remember a lot more nuance. Like, ooh, do I want to be like pretty good but curious or pretty good and you know it maybe this conversation is over <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um the main quest here though you know the big tutorial quest is uh you go talk to Hrothgar and he tells you hey we're gonna get this expedition to uh oh god what is it called um uh, Kaldahar yeah we're going over there, but I need to know that you're like up to snuff. You know, I need to know that you're what's up. And there's a caravan that's supposed to be coming here to give things to Pomab, and they haven't showed up yet. And so I need you to leave the town 
and go check around the lake and check in some caves and see, uh, you know, if something happened to the caravan, you know, maybe they got snowed in, you know, the winter's coming. Uh, you need to go find out what's up. And so you can leave the town. And go in, and so like, yeah, right off of the town, there's a bridge and there's probably, I don't know, a dozen to 20 goblins. There's a shitload of goblins here, man. Like there's so many goblins. <laughs> I only for fought a level one or two one at a time. <laughs> I just, yeah. I would just go down until one aggroed and then go up. Yes. Oh, well, so here's a big, big thing. Uh, aggro rules in this game are not the aggro rules of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, or no. at least of Baldur's Gate 1, right? Mm-hmm. So in Baldur's Gate 1, you could you could take one little bit of the, the fog of war, right? And mm-hmm. it would just aggro whoever could see you in that thing. Yeah. But there's like party aggro now. So like if one dude sees you, everybody sees you. It's interesting. So there is a way to get to pull one of these goblins, but it's just much more finicky. Um, mm. It's not entirely that like each enemy, because like there's the uh, there's like some MMO logic that happens where there was a time when oh one enemy sees you and it doesn't communicate with the things around it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that it is a little bit more of than that. I think the way that it works in uh, Baldur's Gate is it's kind of a little bit of a hybrid but it is possible to like aggro only one and back off quick enough that when that one sends its signal to the things immediately around it you aren't there and then it pulls but like i said it's just much more finicky than baldur's gate uh one or two hmm yeah the uh <laughs> the the <laughs> yeah i i mean i'm thinking about it too in the sense of um I'm curious about how I'm going to be able to exploit this later with Tony Monsters. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I think that this is the interesting thing. You can aggro things in this game without seeing them. Yeah, yeah. So, like, your aggro radius Mm -hmm. expands a little bit past the fog of war. And I think that is the, that's like the real finicky part about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of breaks some D, some, not D&D rules, I guess, but some, uh. Baldur's Gate rules, but that's it okay. Does. That's fine. That's whatever. Mm-hmm. The uh, but anyway, I fight all these goblins, and yeah, I had to do the same thing. I had to like pull them back across the, the bridge because uh, they were, you know, there's like four goblin archers, and there's like a you know fifty fifty shot that they just one shot my my <laughs> yeah. mages at this point. So I had to do that, and then you go into the next screen and you find the smallest couple. screen. That's, so that's something interesting that there really are different screen sizes. Um, you know, Baldur's Gate, those games, it's like, you're going to go into a big wide open area and there's a bunch of stuff that happens there, but it's all on one screen. They are all four by six miles. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And there might be be a lot of empty space in that four by six miles, but they are, it's, you know, big. Mm-hmm. That's not the case here. There's not a uniform size. There are some small screens, itty bitty, that just have a passage in them. There are some that are massive. You know, they really are varied. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like that so much, but mm-hmm. uh, it is what it is. What can you do? We go there. There's an overturned caravan, and there's some orcs here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, you put two and two together, and you got to realize you got to go in this cave, and you got to fight some orcs, and you're going to have to figure out what happened to this caravan. Now, by the way, Having seen the overturned caravan, I don't need to go clear out this cave. I know what happened to the caravan now. Yeah. I have someone else deal with this, but that's not how D&D works. No, because it's not enough to see the overturned caravan. You need to find the note. 
yeah. ordering an ogre to get the caravan. There is no empirical logic, <laughs> like in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Like no, that's that's why magic is such an important thing. Yeah, is because no one on the planet in the in the Forgotten Realms, no Can, one on Toril can look at two pieces of information and make an inference <laughs> yeah there are no inferences that's why they're like well i guess the only way to make people go to sleep for surgery is to develop a i don't know some sort of magical spell <laughs> to make it just happen there, i don't know how you would do it one way or the other mm-hmm. other than magic gosh uh how would i bring someone back from the dead well, I, I I guess maybe their organs could be related. I, I, there's no way to know. I don't know how these things could, yeah. could attach to one another. So I guess we'll just... But magic is explicit, and it does yeah. the one thing. It'll do it, period. <laughs> so let's do magic. Yeah. It really is like a, a, an interesting uh, way of thinking like human knowledge. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, what if we just couldn't make inferences? I'm going to... So I, I don't know if you count it. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you didn't. I don't think that you're a micromanager in this way. Uh, I, I've... I've imagine the number of orcs in this cave. I've got my number. What's your number? 35. I actually had 28. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think we're we're right around there. Yeah, somewhere mm-hmm. between those two things I think is right. Um, I'll even say 28. I My first number in my mind was 25, and I thought, no, there's probably more than that. A so little bit 35. more than that. No, it yeah. might be around 30. Um, yeah, so but yeah, there's there. a... They're about there's about thirty orcs in this cave, and, <laughs> and that's all it is. It's uh, just orcs and an ogre. Well, but but uh, <laughs> yes, that's the end boss, right? Sure. But but I mean, in the sense of like, there's no uh, <laughs> rooms. You know, there's no like pallets on the ground, as far as I remember, of where they sleep. There's no. There's some boxes. I guess they took some boxes from mm-hmm. the caravan that they overturned, mm-hmm. and then just put them in like the corners of the cave, like yep. you know, here and there. Yep. And then they just stood around. There's no food supply. There's no, um, I don't know. There's nothing. It's just <laughs> barren dungeon mm-hmm. with orcs in it. Mm-hmm. I did get a girdle, a girdle of helm that uh, gives bless all the time to a character. Whoa, where'd you get that? It's in the bot- It's in the box that's in the bottom of the thing. Oh, dang. Like in the s- southmost. I almost missed it. I, had, I was hitting the tab button. Oh, I must have missed it too. Yeah. Well, huge bummer. It's yeah. it's pretty. That's a pretty good effect. Uh, just constant bless, you know. Is uh, it a alignment restricted? I don't think so. I might have to reload. I'm gonna that. <laughs> There's only like, one person. There's only Balthazar. I need yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's like a pretty beneficial. Uh, but um, so I'm you know going through there. Oh, one thing I want to say too. Sorry, in Hrothgar's house, did you click around all the stuff in his house? Yeah, they they uh they call out the player character they pull out the player itself you know you the person at the keyboard you can lockpick his chest and the only thing in there is a note that says hey to cameron dear cameron do not be a person who steals things we don't like that in east haven good day (laughs) i thought wowee uh, after after I experienced that, I wrote a note to a burglar <laughs> in my home, and I just put it in a random drawer. You, you put it in your fire safe. Mm-hmm. The um, and also you can click on his trophies on the wall, and he has a mind flare. He has, I think, a gorgon, like a classic first edition gorgon. That, you know, that's like the big metal bull. Yeah, yeah. And he also has a thing that is completely empty that has a label that says "Invisible Stalker" on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, this man could go into that cave and just stare at the orcs and they would all die. Yeah, he's like level 15, right? He's, yeah. like, he's a retired adventurer. But anyway, mm-hmm. sorry, to go back to this, this barren cave, mm-hmm. you just go through it. And the issue for me, it was pretty easy going back and forth. Although I did have to go in the cave. It was real first edition D&D, right? Yeah. Or even like advanced D&D. I went in. I fought one group of orcs. I, you know, I was losing health and certainly having to blow through all my spells to do it because it's a hard encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's balanced for six people. I went all the way back to East Haven. I went to sleep. <laughs> oh, no. What about the, the rest end, button? I came back <laughs> and killed more orcs and then went back to East Haven. So I went in and out of this cave probably 10, 15 times. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Um, if you deal damage to some orcs and then run away and then rest, they rest too. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned that lesson. Mm. And I was able to make it through this whole thing pretty easily, pretty fine, easy peasy, until I got to the final boss battle with mm. one ogre who could, by the way, one shot every single person in my party. Makes sense. And I couldn't, uh, I had a hard time with this. It probably took me 20, 30 minutes to beat this battle. My f- My solution to it your playtime has thus been uh, 45% character creation. Yeah. 45% ogre, <laughs> ogre <Yeah>. fight. <laughs> yes. I'm not even, I probably recorded for an hour and a half, something like mm-hmm. that. And a full hour of it is between character creation and this ogre fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so my solution finally was I equipped all of my people who could do ranged combat. Mm-hmm. I equipped them with a ranged weapon. I would run a character into the room to aggro the the boss. I would cast Grease from Tony Monsters. That's his other spell. Because he can I, I, conjure Grease. Grease is something he, you can conjure. <laughs> exactly. So I conjured Grease onto the narrow pathway. Mm-hmm. And then I began running backward and firing at people like as whenever I could. Mm-hmm. And I would kill one orc every time. Mm-hmm. And so I just slowly but surely moved through the whole thing because Greece... because the ogre is kind of bigger. So like as they aggro you, it's naturally like the orcs that make it in front. Yeah, because I think the ogre because the ogre's like footprint in the level is larger. Uh, he's going to be um, kind of uh, there's going to be obstacles from the other orcs. So like generally speaking, they make it in front of the ogre. So that makes sense. Yeah, they're squeezing by, and also they just aggro. First, right, because they're mm-hmm. in, in front in the room, and so I just slowly but surely back out of this whole cavern, shooting as I go, mm-hmm. and then I go into the next screen, and they follow me, and I slowly but surely yeah. back out of that screen, and then I haven't killed them all. That ogre's still around, so I have to go back to East Haven <laughs> with the ogre right in front of the, oh yes, and, and in front of the thing, the entrance, yeah, and I have to just. Quick save my there's a lot of quick saving involved in this whole thing. And I have to just go in and fight the ogre a little bit and hope I kill him. And if I don't kill him, I gotta go back to East Haven and try again because he's gonna regen all his health when I rest. Yeah. The uh this is really you know, this is now it's been a lot of games that we've had this kind mm-hmm. of experience. But yes. I, I think that this is just really you know, driving home. You have to play like Balthazar plays at level 30, mm-hmm. at level one. Yeah. And I play like Ticklevar plays at 
level 30 at level one there's an inversion that happens and <laughs> we, we do meet, meet in the middle though we meet Thankfully. somewhere around like level six or eight i can't remember but uh but yeah balthazar just i i kill every orc in one hit cool um i have i have like many tens of hit points you know so i, I can't remember exactly where i was but you know over 30 yeah, there's utterly mindless, no challenge whatsoever. Whereas you you are having to like <laughs> um, do some real advanced stuff, galaxy brain tactics to get this over. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little bit disappointed. Well, not disappointed, but surprised, I guess, because I kind of thought, you know, I've got a cleric, I've got a fighter, I've got a paladin. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought they would be able to one-shot these ogres. Someone here, you know, someone who specialized in two-handed weapons, mm-hmm. who's a paladin, a cavalier even, I thought, you're going to be able to one-shot these these orcs. And sometimes they can, like every mm-hmm. now and again. But there's a lot of swinging and missing, Yeah, you know. We're going to have to get a couple levels up. I think that we'll be a pretty good frontline party, you know, level three, level four. Mm-hmm. But right now, it was a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, I think it really is. And also, in terms of outfitting your party, like, how much gold did you have to get everybody's stuff? Well, uh, <laughs> I every goblin you kill drops a battle axe that's worth one gold. <laughs> no, but, but like, the the starting gold before no, any. I, oh, I'm getting to that. <laughs> okay. So I was able to uh, equip the remaining three members of my party by hoarding <laughs> goblin axes and selling them to Pomab for one gold apiece. And I'm not exaggerating. So you um, had enough starting gold to like only equip outfit half people. of your party. Yeah, everyone had weapons, thankfully, but not everyone had armor. Mm. Um, yeah, my, my thief did not have armor till uh, a little bit further in here after I'd killed a few orcs and was able to to sell their weapons. Um, thankfully you do get to a place where that's possible and, and it works, but yeah, you know, it took halfway, halfway clear in this orc or orc dungeon to do that, which maybe accounts for why I had to go back and forth so much. Right. I think that does. Meanwhile, Balthazar is like leaving, uh, East Haven with splint mail and a helmet and two long swords and yeah. uh, also the, all the containers. And we're there now. You know, we're ready to go. And and that was actually a mistake on my part. The first thing I purchased was all the containers because I thought, oh, yeah, I got enough gold to outfit everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, that's classic so Baldur's I... Gate instinct. And it's not a wrong instinct. Those are the most valuable items in the game. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my God, these containers are here. I might never be able to pick them up. I'm buying all of them. And so that was maybe a mistake because I blew like 70 gold on that. But uh, it all worked out. But it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a speed bump at the beginning. But you clear this out, and you go back to Hrothgar, and he says, Damn, damn, Skippy, you're good at combat. Um, You figured it out. And uh, now we're going to go on this expedition, and you go to, um, gosh, I can't, Kaldahar. I don't know why I can't. You're on your way to Kaldahar, and and we get another little cinematic. Yeah. This is the most, also another D&D-ass thing. And Lord of the Rings thing. He, oh yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it's some real fellowship of the ring. You, we almost turn back and go through the mines <laughs> because of this. <laughs> well, so yeah, so you're, this whole expeditionary force, which is like you, Hrothgar, and like a couple other people, I guess it's unclear. Mm-hmm. But Hrothgar's an, uh, uh, or not? Yeah, Hrothgar isn't a high level adventurer, or higher level adventurer. He's killed a mind flayer before. Sure. 
I don't know how I feel, by the by, going back to this, I don't know how I feel about cutting the head off another intelligent species and putting its head on your wall. It kind of feels to me like putting an elf's head on your wall, which we, I don't think we would appreciate in a general sense. Mm. But, um, you know, I don't know. We can talk about that later. Yeah. The, I think uh, mind flayers are complicated. They, it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, in a general sense, though, <laughs> I would say, I would simply not put a mind flayer's head on my wall. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but we're going through the pass and wouldn't you know it, we start hearing a ruckus. It's filling up with snow. You know, there's snow on both sides high above us. This is a pass. We're kind of going through a low point in the mountains to not have to pass the highest peaks. And wouldn't you know, just a bunch of frost giants show up and start throwing rocks at us. Mm -hmm. You know, start throwing rocks at us and, uh, almost more, unfortunately, start throwing either missing or intentionally throwing rocks like above us on like the walls of this canyon yep and uh they really just eat our lunch here yeah so they kill they kill everyone other than (laughs) our party yes and when we come back from the little cinematic or little cutscene thing a little description hrothgar's thought not there presumably dead and a hermit shows up and he goes, damn, y'all. <laughs> I saw like, everything. I saw everything. And, and everyone else was a buffoon for running backwards. They should have run forwards like you did. And they they all died in that pass and you didn't. And and he says... Uh, He's I like say, well, really bummed. He's like, man, I don't look forward to digging those <laughs> corpses out in spring, but they ain't coming out anytime before the, the thaw. Yeah, know? he was like, I'm not bothering with this. I'm not clearing this out. And so he says... Um, you know, uh, or I say, hey, how do I get to Kaldahar? And he says, well, why would you want to go there? And in my in my human player thought, I thought, well, what would I do other than that? I can't go backward. Yeah, I can't go backward. The game seems, I'm on rails here, Hermit. Like, <laughs> yeah. am I just hanging out in this area? There's nothing here either. Yeah, and he says, okay, well, you can go forward past the mill, and you can get to Kaldahar. And, uh, but damn, there's a bunch of goblins in the way. I will say this is a very BG1 area and that you mm-hmm. can stay to the road and just be through this area in about two minutes. Yeah, you can just run past all these goblins. Yeah. and But I killed about 20 goblins on this screen because I need mm-hmm. levels. And sure. That's important for me at this point. So I kill a bunch of goblins. Um, not very interesting. Um, I mean, I filled up my inventory with axes, which mm-hmm. is great. But uh, did you talk to the one marshal goblin, the goblin marshal? Yeah, he's got something going on in his head. Yeah. yeah. Voices in his head, right? Yeah, you can talk to him and you can be like, damn, you can talk. You speak common. He's like, yeah, all kinds of goblins can talk. Mm-hmm. It, it really kind of giving us a, pre, uh, a pre-version of that, that uh, Spurf Nebling conversation <laughs> I, 20 years later. Yeah. But um, he, says, uh, he says, yeah, I can talk, but I've got something pulling me in, in a direction. He's like, it's making me feel bad. You know, it's, I can't, I can't get out of this pass. Uh, you know, I can't get through the pass now and it's making me feel real bad. So it seems to be there's some sort of mind control going on with these goblins. Did you talk to the ogre here in the windmill? No. Yeah. He's got the same thing going on. Dang. There's another ogre who's like, yeah, he's like banging his head against the wall because of something going on in there. And to my, what I saw, uh, looking at the kind of walk through through this area to make sure I didn't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the solution to this is not here. Mm. Right? So this is going to be something that we have to figure out later after we get to Koldahar. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, there's goblins, there's a little mill, there's a little area, there's like a kid in a closet in that building that the elite goblin 
is standing on, like inside mm. that building. Hmm. Um, and uh, you get a little experience if you encourage the kid to be like, hey, get out of here and sorry your parents are dead. Yeah, go back home. Yeah. Um, I didn't do that. I didn't yep. see that at all. I went, uh, I think I actually just saved my game. Oh, no. You go through this screen and like chapter one starts and I yep. saved my game and uh, quit. I mean, I hit all <laughs> F4 and quit the game because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to learn anything about it. Mm-hmm. And that's but, it. That is the prologue. The prologue is uh, a five-minute cinematic, mm-hmm. creating your characters for half an hour, mm-hmm. um, East Haven, and, mm-hmm. and the fun little hijinks that happen there, mm-hmm. uh, killing some works in a cave, and then walking across uh, Goblinville uh, to get to Coldhar, and then chapter one begins. And, uh, you know, we didn't say this was the beginning, but our coverage of this game is going to be a little bit different in Mm -hmm. that we are going to do just one chapter per episode. Yeah. You know, and if there's a lot of stuff, well, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And the episodes will be a little bit longer. And if there's not a lot to talk about, well, the episodes will be a little bit shorter. Yeah. But just because our our assumption class slash going instinct is that the uh, this game is much more combat focused. We're just going to cover it one in a whack. Yeah. I think that that's the way to do it. I think that the, you know, it's a very different game from some of the games we've done. But we've, d- I think at this point we can say that Mages and Murder Dads has covered different kinds of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Baldur's Gate 2 is a very different game from Disco Elysium, is a very different game from uh, Icewind Dale here. So, Correct. you know, we're just, uh, we're, we're covering the way it intuitively makes sense to us. And I think that... You know, having an episode about chapter one, which will be episode 76 of Mages and Murder Dads, uh, that that feels about right. I think that that'll give us enough to talk about and kind of give give y'all these this game in kind of digestible chunks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we will uh, be back in two weeks with the episode on chapter one. Uh, if you haven't hit subscribe to this channel, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you want to listen to this in podcast form, you can go down in the comments or not the comments, but the description below this video. You can get a little link to uh, the Mages and Murder Dads RSS feed to put in your podcast player of choice. Hit that like button. I keep forgetting to tell people to do that. Smash that like button so other people or can dislike. See. Do I don't care. Do whichever one you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take that. Uh, take that person who's enjoyed this episode. Um, and uh, you can go to Patreon.com to support the show and uh, help us do all the the cool things. Keep it going. Keep keep us flush with Icewind Dales. Um, I spend, that's what I spend the budget on every month, actually. It's just buying copies of Icewind Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're trying to, uh, to corner the Icewind Dale, mm-hmm. you know, stock. There's the only, there's only so many digital copies. Mm-hmm. They definitely just can't keep making more. So I'm, you know, I'm treating, I'm treating like the auction house, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the can, it's uh, the end of uh, trading places, but instead of like concentrated orange juice, it's uh, Icewind Dale uh, digital codes. Exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, you can find uh, all of our Twitter information down in the description below. We hope you like this, and we'll be back in two weeks. Goodbye. Ciao. Yeah.